Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. We got a ring card, boy. Nice advertising. And we started 15 seconds ago. Glory to Jesus Christ, Father Nathan. Glory forever. Welcome to Catholic Byzantine Booth from LA Congress. Yes, we have our Russian friend, Father Brian Larkin, on today. I wish. Who, uh, who was British last time he came on, now he's Russian. That would be sweet. And he's, um, oh, we, we, we've added to our table. We're not doing Facebook Live anymore, for obvious reasons. Um, but we have, somebody brought us a little tiny pack of sriracha sauce. Um, I still think that some people aren't necessarily believing that that's how you say it. I, I, think, the, I think it is commonly understood that it is three syllables, though. Siracha. 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 Somebody sent the Facebook page an entire video on how both I of us were that. wrong. I okay. just didn't pay attention to it because I don't like it. It's called catsup. Catsup. <laughs> catsup. The American Ketchup. Sriracha catsup. sauce. Yeah. So this is really weird. Can you guys come over a little more? Sorry, I just feel like I just I'm... don't pickpocket the Byzantine stuff. So obviously we're live at the L.A. Catechetical Congress and Religious Ed Congress, but we are we broadcasting have... live. We, we and had there are some people that have no idea what's going on we, right we, now. Yeah, we have a, a new friend that told us that we were facing the wrong direction to sound good through the speakers. So we turned. You can say his name. Cowboy. Cowboy nice. up. Cowboy up. And so. Anyway, now we're facing the other direction, which makes me feel like everybody's behind me. Well, that's good, because last time I think we log jammed most of the people out yeah. there. What's up? Well, you're, you're the better looking one anyway, so you can look out that way. True. And do that. Kind of. All right. Uh, so we decided, since I was a slacker and didn't put together a very good topic, that we're going to do a Q&A today. And I have some topics ready to go if you guys have no questions. Yep. Um, and we can certainly do that. But... Um, I can't hear, so actually, if you can, I'll, I'll take the headphones off to hear what their questions are. Yeah. Actually, if you guys could come up and just say the question into the mic, that would actually be very oh helpful gosh, for the recording as well. The mic. <laughs> Here, come into my my mic's better. Yeah. FYI, his mic is a lot better than mine. So. Hello, Bishop, Bishop Gerald. Good to see you. And um, and so yeah, so come up to this one. This is also the mic I actually protect when I travel. That one I just put in the sock and throw it in my suitcase. Um, literally this time. So. Um, so yeah, and any questions from people that are at the Congress here that are listening? If not, we have a couple written down. And if not, we have some topics. All right, all right, Sarah, come up, up and uh, just speak into this mic, please. What your question? This is Sarah from Santa Clarita. She is the uh, social media coordinator for Priests for Life. And she grew up uh, down the street from me in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Oh, we used to uh, have a lot of fun running through the water drainage really? ditches. And no, I just are you from up. Albuquerque? Not at all. I just made that whole thing up. Sorry, I was just <laughs> whatever. <laughs> I, was, I was trying to build up up the uh, introduction. No, so, it's great. Right. The, the work that Priests for Life do is great. Yes, uh, we are very happy to promote them, support them. Yeah, amen. All right, Sarah. Here we go. Right in the mic. What's, what are the main differences between the Byzantine Catholic Church oh, and the Roman Catholic Church? The main differences between the Byzantine Catholic Church wait, wait, and the Roman Wait, wait, no, no, no. There's a great... Here we go. Hang on. <laughs> One second. We're not going to say who publishes this, but there they is... Have a, uh, they have actually a worksheet that you could take home that explains all the differences. <laughs> that is not offensive at all. That, it's not offensive to people who are Byzantine. <laughs> Because the main difference, according to this, is 
beards. Uh, they have beards, and we don't. No. You can take this question. We, 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 have a, we have a flyer that we're handing out here I'm, at the Byzantine I'm going to make Becca do this picture as the... <laughs> this picture will be the picture for the podcast, for this. Because literally, it's three people sitting around a potted plant playing guitar. And then the other guy has incense, an icon, and what looks to be faith. And it says, well, it does stand up, Roman Rite Today... And then it, it says they are there. This is not. This is not. This is not not accurate. What's yeah. the word for that? Unaccurate. 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 Yeah. Right. It's it's just not very tactful in my opinion. So it just okay. shows. One is the L.A. Congress. <laughs> <laughs> it no shows what, what, what was says Roman right today, and it shows a bunch of people sitting around playing guitars with a potted plant and a banner that says. I am the light of the world with some candles. And then it shows the Byzantine side, and it's a very well-dressed, bearded Byzantine priest praying with candles in front of icons, etc. This, this is actually very helpful. It, I'm, I, yeah. I, I'm not, I do not think it's offensive in the least. We just like making fun of people. Yes. I'm a bully. Oh. I'm live. No, it's okay. We're Are live. Yeah. We're live from the L.A. Congress. Um, okay, take it away. Thank you for asking, though. Okay. What so, is the major difference? Yeah, that was... Sorry. Back to your question. Um, I would say the, the main differences are... Well, you have the liturgical differences, of course. Um, the, the, we don't like change in the Byzantine Catholic Church. So, so we, we've, we've added things gradually over the past 1,700 years, but our liturgy at its heart was written by St. John Chrysostom or St. Basil the Great, who lived 1,700 years ago. So the liturgy itself, which you're actually watching on the screen behind you, for those of you that are here with us, um, the, the liturgy itself, the anaphora, the main consecration part, was written by him. Over time, we've added litanies, we've added other prayers, but um, I would say the main differences in the liturgy is that uh, the, everything is chanted. Everything is chanted. Initially, this was because the... Uh, is that the loom clock? Yeah, it is we're at high noon. Harumph. Okay, uh, so an, initially, the... Uh, Everything was chanted because Hagia Sophia in Constantinople was so large that, of course, there were no microphones 1,700 years ago. So the chanting actually amplified the sound. Um, so even homilies would be chanted. Everything was chanted. In other words, for everybody to hear it. Um, actually, chanted homilies become what we now call the Kentakia, which is part of the Divine Liturgy that's kind of a, a, a church-composed analysis of the either the theme of the day or of the Feast of the Year or whatever it might be. Um, so during the Divine Liturgy, you're going to notice that everything is chanted. You're going to notice that the priest um, faces with the people the same direction as the people, stands on the same side of the altar. It's very much a—the center of the church is called a nave from, like, navy, you know, a ship moving in direction, navy, right, guys? Um, like a ship moving in a certain direction, everybody's facing in that same direction. So the priest faces the same direction as the people, moving in this boat um, headed towards the goal of Jesus Christ. Of course, many Romans do that as well. Um, but the, uh, you're going to notice that infants receive Eucharist um, because we, when we baptize an infant, they also receive chrismation or confirmation, same sacrament, and the Eucharist. Um, they receive those together, so you're going to see parents bring up newborn babies, and the babies are going to receive a little bit of the precious blood. You're going to notice that the Eucharist is given out. Um, so if you know the Roman Mass, most of you are Roman, um, when the priest takes the host, breaks it, breaks off a little piece of the host after it's consecrated, and drops it into the, the chalice of the precious blood of our Lord, that is because when the soldier pierced Christ's side, that was a sign that he was dead. 
So in other words, when his body was separated from his blood, that was a sign that he was dead. So of course, when we receive the Eucharist, we're not receiving the dead body of Christ, we're receiving the living body of Christ. What I oftentimes say is, of course, Catholics have been accused of being cannibals for, for centuries and centuries and centuries. And that's, no, we're worse than cannibals. Like cannibals eat dead flesh. We're eating the flesh of the living God, the resurrected body and blood of Christ. So when the priest puts the uh, a piece of the host back into the chalice, he's putting the body and the blood back together. And so you're receiving the living body of Christ as symbolized through that meeting of the two. Um, in the Byzantine Church, we actually put all of the precious body of our Lord into the blood of our Lord, and then the two are distributed from a gold spoon. So if you look at the picture behind you on the TV, for those of you that are here live, um, you will see the discos that, that's on the altar there, the, the big leavened piece of bread that is in the center there. So the consecration is happening right now. You see the deacon actually waving a, uh, a, a symbolism of an angel um, with the, the six-winged seraphim over the gifts to symbolize the presence of the angels during the consecration. And then you will see the, uh, that, that, that big loaf of bread that is now becoming the body, body of Christ in this icon. He's now actually doing the epiclesis, calling down the Holy Spirit upon it. Um, no, he's not. He's doing the anamnesis, and he's consecrating it under the words of institution. He will then put that entire piece of bread, which is now the body of our Lord, into the chalice, and he will distribute it with a gold spoon. So you'll see a gold spoon there on the altar, and the gold spoon actually breaks off pieces of what we call the prosphora, the consecrated body of our Lord. And then when you receive, you receive in the mouth from this gold spoon. And you're receiving, again, the, the consecrated bread and wine together to show that this is the living body of Christ. What you will also see in a bit, um, and for those of you listening on the podcast, uh, after the body and the blood are put together in the chalice, then the priest, the deacon will bring over a little pot of boiling hot water and he will pour that into the chalice, that heats it up. So when you receive it, it actually tastes warm. It's a further evidence of we are receiving here the body and blood of, of the living God, the living resurrected Jesus Christ. So um, it's, it's another, another symbol that, that um, teaches us and lets us experience better the reality of what we're receiving um, in Jesus Christ. There's also some doctrinal differences um, in between the two as well, that if you studied, you know, uh, the understanding of purgatory, the understanding of original sin, the understanding of, of the procession of the Son, you know, uh, and of the Holy Spirit, things like this are, are slight differences that we would could spend a whole podcast going into. But um, I would say, I'm guessing what you're asking is the liturgical differences. Um, so those are some of the main liturgical differences, I would say, right off the top of my head. Yeah. Okay, that was a great commercial uh, for the, I mean, like, apology for the for the liturgy i think it's a great question um coming from the roman rite versus the the byzantine rite one of the most helpful explanations that i've received is that uh if you look at the different styles of architecture many times in um in roman catholic churches you have steeples you have these extremely high what look like to be arrows pointers like they're they're directing your attention upward Byzantine churches tend to have onion domes or domes themselves. The difference is one is focusing on the transcendence of God, the otherness of God, the, the fact that, that God is so far above us, so far beyond us, and uh, we are brought into some kind of relation to his majesty. His, um, we're brought into his court. 
um, as you would like in the court of a king. The hall, the long hall that you would go and walk up. Some of you have seen like Game of Thrones or something like that. Never seen it, but my guess is there's some imagery <laughs> in there of regality, of royalty. For the Byzantines, it's much more of an imminent feeling that you feel like God is present. There's an intimacy. You are no longer in uh, another place or you're no longer in the same place, you've now been brought into some place that's totally different and actually there, there's a familial feel to it. You are in the presence of the angels and the saints. Um, all of heaven is kind of present there. All of the mysteries of uh, iconography and everything are detailing all the different aspects of Christ's life. And the church itself is like lower. It's not like a really tall ceiling. Is that right? Well, it, 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 yeah, it'll it be lower. Be. Right, it can be pretty much the way I explain it, and that's a that's a great um, issue, Father Nathan. I, I think that's important to say. When you walk in a beautiful Gothic cathedral, you look up, and on the outside of a Roman church, you typically have steeples and something that make you look up. Like when I walk into this building, I'm going to be transported to heaven. And when you walk into a beautiful Gothic cathedral, you have to look up. Even the interior architecture of a Gothic church makes you look up, um, and it's supposed to show come here in a sense and be transported to heaven. When you walk in the church, you're transported to heaven. The Byzantine, the Eastern tradition is the exact same thing. We're still in heaven, but heaven has come down, come down to yeah. where we are. So you have like the dome of the cosmos that are resting upon the more structured, the, the immeasurable cosmos resting upon the more structured part of the base of the church. And so that's why you have that icon on the black back wall. Um, I, don't, I don't see one here, but it, it, the Platitera, the, the mother of God pregnant with Jesus. And that, that icon is always on the back wall. So you, you have the Pontecrotter, Christ the King, Christ enthroned on the ceiling that is unapproachable because it's within the dome. Then you have the Platitera, which means wider than the heavens. I know I've said this, some of these things before on the podcast, but the mother of God is wider than the heavens, broader than the heavens, because even the heavens cannot contain God, and yet she contained God completely within herself. And so you have that icon on the back wall, because that's kind of the unapproachable God in the dome that is the furthest icon away. Then you have kind of halfway down the wall, you have where the dome meets the church. That's where the mother of God, Platitera, is because the incarnation, when God became man, now heavens have come down to earth. And then you have the icon of Christ, the teacher, the one here with the book, if you're here live, um, where you, it's, you call one of the kissing icons. You can actually walk right up and approach it. So the paradox of the church, you have the, the unapproachable Christ, the unapproachable God on the ceiling, and the completely approachable, imminent Christ on the icon screen, the kissing icon. And then on the back wall between the two, you then have the platitera. You have Our Lady pregnant with our Lord, so showing that, that meeting place. So it's the same thing. You come here to meet God. You come here to, to have God present to you, whether it's the ascension in, in the Roman terminology, the ascension to heaven where God dwells, or the Byzantine understanding where, where heaven is descended to be where we are. Both are the same message of God is here. God is with us, and we're here engaging in this liturgy or this prayer. Good question. Yeah, especially at the Byzantine booth. Yeah, Amen. well played. Since we have so much, uh, we did not we even point her. at. Yeah, all right, cowboy. Question two from Cowboy yeah. for each of former you. former fourth degree Grand Knight of Santa Clarita Council one eight six two three. Close one two four eight nine. Ah, sorry. Um, what for each of you? What is your favorite part about being a member of the Companions? Ooh. Good question. You want to start? 
good question. I, didn't, I don't have an answer okay. right now. You want to start? Yeah. Um, well, I, I, I've been convicted recently. Um, there was a, a quote, and uh, who was it from? I'm, I'm spaced the name right now, but it was a quote that pretty much said, if you love community, you will destroy community. If you love the brother, you will build community. Yeah. Who was that? Do you remember? It's some, it's, anyway, I, I say it all the time. I just base like it now. A, but it, 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 think of it. Uh, it's not Kamasasa, but he might obviously something, said something similar. But there's oh, a. Vanier. I think hmm. it's Vanier. Okay. It was somebody else too. But anyway, um, the, uh, <laughs> I don't want to say you're you tell, wrong, Father you Nathan. You're me. wrong. Um, but the, uh, anyway, the, this quote, again, if you love community, in other words, if you're trying to live community for the sake of community, you're going to destroy the community. But if you love the brother or the sister that you're in community with, then you're going to build community almost naturally. So you, you need to love the individuals. It's not just about the idea of community. You, know, you need to love the individuals yeah. in community. And when I joined the Companions a few years ago, you know, it was, I knew a couple of them really well. And I was like, I, I want to like live in a community with these guys. But there's, a, there's another whole group of guys I did not know well. And so it was like, they kind of come with the Companions. You know, I know these guys well, and I, that's why I chose to investigate this, because I knew these guys. But if, if there are other guys I don't know, so I needed to make sure that I actually went out of my way to love the individual guys yeah. in the community, or I was just going to kind of be resting in the fact that I have community without investing or drawing from it what, what is really there. Um, it's also really nice because we're all priests, and there really is, whether we're working in the seminary, whether we're still in formation in a sense as, as a deacon about to become a priest, whether you're a pastor in a parish, whatever it is, we, we, we all have varying lives in a sense, but we also have similar lives as the fact that we are priests. And so you can have real community in that most people would not understand the, the more basic parts of my life. And I, it's not all about venting, of course, but it's it's asking, it's being held accountable. It, it's asking for feedback all in the ways that actually help, makes me a better priest through community with other priests. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, similar, uh, in a similar way, as he's saying, like is known by like. You have moms groups, you have you know young moms groups, and they love being together because they can talk about the various issues, but there's also a, a commonality to that. Um, the, uh, it's certainly true in priestly life. And so many times we are in separate assignments, separate uh, states, separate, different, just totally different communities. And the reality is it, it really helps to, to know one another in their strengths and in their weaknesses because when I look at my brothers, I'm actually inspired to live the fullness of the priesthood that is only found in Christ only but like i can see elements of that of those traits in my brothers and i may never have the administrative ability of jesus to tell the people to sit down in rows of 50 and you know organize the feeding of 5000 people that is not my strong suit but when i see father john or uh, father matt book like rip through with their choleric side and just like totally organized people, that's impressive to me. And I can venerate those gifts in them, but at the same time say, but then what can I do? What's helpful for me? Um, and then we also hold to this ideal, we hold to this rule of life. And many times as you start living anything, it's like, all right, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna set goals for myself, etc. And then you begin to fall short of it. 
But if another guy is excelling in another area, it, it just in, it, it beckons you on to actually say, um, I want to live this well. Yeah, with 11 of us now, there is, we are kind of a microcosm of the church with our personalities. So you do like, I know I've been a priest 12 years. I certainly understand what my strengths are and I understand my weaknesses, absolutely. And I need, I need the community to inspire me on my weaknesses, to kind of soften my weaknesses and then to amplify my strong points. So that's one of the things, since we are all clergy, you know, you can. I don't. I've actually never felt this with us, but I was kind of surprised I didn't. Any sense of competition, a rivalry. Yeah. yeah, like a rivalry come down. Like, like who's who's the better priest? Whose parish is doing better? Whose ministry is doing better? I've never felt that with us. And I don't know if that's intentional, yeah. or or it just kind of happened that way. But there there is an encouragement and a, a drawing forth a way that that challenges us and inspires us. You know, there's nothing wrong with with the the jealousy. If you define jealousy as seeing that something somebody else has something you want and wanting to have that as well. Like, you know, there's a certain aspect. If you're, if you're spending time with really good men and really good priests, it makes you want to be a better man and a better priest, yeah. you know. And that, in the various personalities, the various ways that we live, um, but that is certainly an encouraging thing. And that's one of the reasons why I joined was I wanted to say this fraternity is going to make me a better pastor. You know, that's one of the differences between uh, the secular, you know, like we are as, as secular priests trying to live in community is that, you know, we, we put the parish first and the community is in service of the parish. You know, we, we, we are sent by our bishops to serve in parishes and we believe that the community we live in will support um, our parishes and will make us better priests and better pastors, better formators of men, whatever it might be. Yeah. Good question. Yeah. Ian, you got one? You got a question? We're doing questions? Yeah. Yeah? Oh, I don't have one ready yet. Okay. Okay. Think Anyone about else? it. Let us know. Any other questions? John, do you have a question? Give me a minute. All right. Cool. We had a, we had a couple written down, too, that I, I can go to if nobody has one ready. Do you want us to do filler for a second? Let's do that. Do you, have any, do you have any advice, brief advice? I, I'll ask you a question. Do you have any okay. brief advice for Lent? Right now, when this podcast is coming out, we are smack dab in the middle yeah. of Lent. Everyone hates each other. Yeah. Everyone hates the <laughs> things that they've chosen to do. Um, I'm in solidarity with um, Sinead Zaleski and Andrea, Andrea Polito. Uh, I don't know why I'm in California. I call her that. Um, uh, we decided to do uh, one, one, you get one drink at the bar. Anytime you go out, you get one drink, and you can only drink the same thing for all of Lent. So uh, I said, you can choose whatever you want. Beer, liquor, wine. That's it. Uh, I think Sinead chose beer. beer. Okay. No, you, you should choose beer. But you can only have one. You can oh, have multi many kinds, but only one. Okay. I'm choosing white wine. I really? Hate, I was going to say. hate <laughs> white wine. Yeah. I like so, that. That's creative. Yeah. And, and it, you actually have to think about it. Yeah. Well, and the other thing, if, I don't like it whenever it's like, uh, sorry, I gave up drinking for Lent. And then it's like, oh, you think you're so much better than everyone else? Yeah. AKA Byzant. <laughs> there is that damage. What, what I would say is very briefly, make sure that you separate prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. In other words, those yeah. are the three things the scriptures tell us that are the heart of the ascetical life. They're the three things that guide us through the great fast through Lent. Make sure you separate them out. So in other words, choose something that is a change or an intensification of prayer, a change or intensification of fasting, yes. and a change or intensification of almsgiving. And if you don't separate, don't substitute one for the other. In other words, don't say, I'm going to have meat today because I, I'm having guests over I'm at, a, at a guest's home, but I'm going to do an extra hour of prayer. Like, no, 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 you can't mix those two. I, don't, I wouldn't recommend you mix those two you could if still you, you could still give it up 
You can still right. have meat, right? But fast you, still, you have else. to fast for yeah. something. Don't do something you like doing. That's in a sense what fasting is. One year, I gave up fat and milk. Ooh. I had skim milk for all of. I'd rent. rather not have milk at all. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to drink water. Yeah. No. So, um, but then the nice thing about that is when you get it back, like what you like, there's an appreciation. Yeah. Instead of yeah. like. I won't eat any candy. It's like I will eat yeah. only candy that is like fruit, not chocolate. <laughs> and honestly, that that's that's one of the things. It, like, it's as important to feast on Easter on Pascha as it is to fast during Lent. Right. You need to fast during Lent, but then you also need to feast during Easter to have that same feeling of that same. Now, now I I've denied myself something because we are awaiting the Messiah. But as soon as the Messiah comes and dies and rises for me, I want my body to feel that death and resurrection, just yep. like my body felt the lack. As my spirit is engaging with the resurrected Christ, my body should be as well. And you, and you do that through feasting. One last thing, I think we probably have another, another question too now, but one last thing too is, is like give, your give yourself a chance to fail. Like if you fail, that's one of the points of Lent is realizing I cannot do this without Christ. Right. So we always say like do things that are like, – like, um, do something accomplishable. Like make, make sure that your fasting is doable. Pick one or two things that are not. Like, like that, that you're going to do your best, but there's a good chance that you might fail just so you can have that experience of even Lent, which is very much a, a, an aspect of personal asceticism. I'm doing the work, but there's still something I'm going to fail at so that I can stand humbly before Christ and say, see, Lord, I can't even do this. That's a very Lenten attitude to have. Okay. Yeah. Any other questions? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Come on up to Come the mic. On. What's your name first, too? Uh, my name's Bailey. Okay. Do you have any advice for high school kids or junior high kids discerning the priesthood? Huh. Well, I'll, I'll say the same thing uh, that Archbishop Shapu said when he met with guys, which was he asked two questions in terms of vocation. Are you chaste? And are you praying? Um, it wasn't like, are you perfect? Or is this, is this going perfectly well? It was just saying, is this a goal for you? Are you chaste and are you praying? Because one actually eliminates, eliminates distractions. The other one takes those eliminations of distractions and focuses it on the Lord. So um, I would say, you know, for me, like when I, when I was discerning, I was neither chaste nor praying. Um, when I started doing both of those, uh, then all of a sudden things became a lot clearer. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I would add to that, I was, I was going to say something very similar, but I would add to that, make sure you involve your community in the discernment. You know, one of, one of my biggest things when I was that age, when I was like, in a sense, too young to apply for seminary, um, was that when I involved my pastor, my parents, my friends, they would start, or even without telling them, they would start coming to me through the guidance of the Holy Spirit and kind of giving me very priestly experiences of counseling, priestly experiences of, you know, asking me to pray for them, you know, asking if they can do anything to help me, you know, it's things like this. And it was, it was those experiences of people coming to me with their concerns, with their questions of faith, with their prayers, you know, those are the things that I said, this is what makes a good priest a good priest, because the community around him supports him, and, and when you have those experiences, I had an experience when I was 16 years old, my, my manager at Chuck E. Cheese, and I worked at Chuck E. Cheese, was just having a really hard time with the relationship she was in, and they lived together, and she told me, she's like, you have a car, can you please like, keep 
your, this is before cell phones, keep your home phone sitting next to you. If I call at one in the morning, can you please rush over? It means my boyfriend's out of the house. We're going to pack your car up with my stuff and you're going to move me to an apartment. And I was like, I, I slept with the phone on my chest, like just waiting for her to call. Cause I was like, this is the life of service I want. I want to sleep next to the phone. I want to be radically available to huh. anybody. And it was a very romantic, romanticized view of this, but there was something about like a priest gets to sit with the sleep with the phone next to his bed and he gets to be inconvenienced in a way often that is really helpful to real people in their real lives huh. and when people would come to me with these issues whether it was just a small thing or a big thing like this i i loved that and it made me feel so happy to be of radical service that i thought this is one of the reasons i want to be a priest is because he gets to do this all the time yeah and so, so tell them to tell their friends. If yeah. their friends start treating them like they have some authority or some knowledge or some ministry, some you know ability to sacrifice for them, that's what a priest does. He sacrifices for his people. And if your friends come and ask you to sacrifice for them and you enjoy that, you might be called to be a priest. Yeah. And the other thing is, I mean, just go visit. You know, like you're not making any commitment. But I was terrified to go to the seminary grounds or even to talk to any priest about it because I'm like, they're going to like trap me and then they're going to guilt me and then all of a sudden they're going to make me do something I wanted to do and then they're going to throw me in the back of a conversion van and drive me to seminary and drop me off and I'll never be able to get out and I'll be unhappy forever. <laughs> um, most of that doesn't happen. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but, but even the question, even the question, bringing up the question, I mean, it's hard for guys. But again, like... There's no commitment. Just ponder it. Think about your life. Is it possible? That's yeah. it. And also, if you're encouraging young men to discern, you need to make the the words you speak to them very specific to them. Like I remember being at that age, and now as a vocations director, I've heard it a lot, that when, when you, you think you're promoting vocations, when you kind of tell every guy, do you feel called to the priesthood? Or like, hey, you, you, you look good in black. All these kind of joking things that you tell right. young guys. But if they're hearing you tell every guy that, there's nothing unique or special about the call. But if you, if you personalize, if you do truly see a guy that you've prayerfully said, you might have a call to ministry in the church, you might. I'm going to ask you to discern. Make sure you make that encouragement very specific so he knows this is just directed to you. I don't say this to everybody because, of course, part of that vocation is, is you, a, a desire for uniqueness. You know, and, and that is very important. So yeah. make sure you make that call and that request personal. Sure. All right. I don't know what we're doing on time. Are we doing all right? We're at a half hour right now. We're at a half hour. Yeah. Anyone any, else have any questions? Any questions? Thought of something, bud? I'm trying to figure out how I want to ask it. Okay. You can, you can ramble on. That's what we do. Ramble on? That's what made our podcast so great is we just ramble a lot. That's what I do. <laughs> uh, so you want to come and speak to the mic if you have one. I don't want to embarrass you If you're not you ready either. yet. No. If can, you're not ready yet. The other thing time. I would say is... Um, uh, if the Lord is going to call you, read the read the book of Jonah, because there were many times that Jonah was like, I don't want to do this. I did not want to be a priest when I was uh, 10 years old or, well, I'm probably more like 12 years old or 14 years old. I was so upset that someone would even come to me and ask that question because I did feel in my heart I do kind of want to be a priest. And um, and then I just ran away. And I did a lot of stupid things. And uh, I got into trouble. I vandalized. Um, like, I won't even make a public confession because we're on air. 
Um, and there's a sister present and a bishop. <laughs> um, but, like, if God wants you to be a priest and you are, you are open to doing his will, even if it's later in life, he'll find you. Yeah. He's like he's like uh, Liam Neeson. Like he's the one on the phone that's like I have a unique skill set and I will find you. That's awesome. He says he's going to kill you, but you get the idea. And, and it really is true. I mean, I remember being young when I was in middle school and high school. Like, I, I have all the time in the world to discern. Like, I'm just going to live my life and do what I want. And then at some point when I'm old and mature, then I'll discern what we don't realize is the experiences you have when you're that age. The the, the growths, you know, the way you grow in virtue, the way you, you fall in vice. Like, those things really do affect you for a long time. You know, as, as a minister and as, a, you know, counseling people in spiritual direction, etc., there, there is very much a... A sense of the things that we experience, the things we do when we're young, affect you the rest of your life. And you, you tell that young man, your, your formation for the priesthood or for, for your marriage, for your job, whatever it is, starts when you're young. Because you're laying the foundation through virtue and through habit that is going to either help you to really thrive and be really rested in your vocation. Or you're going to be struggling with these same things your whole life if you don't. So just like, you, you, you know, it's better to learn a language when you're really young. It's better to start becoming virtuous when you're really young yeah. as well. It'll just, whether it's, you know, I, I learned all these languages because I started young or because, you know, I, I have good habits and no bad habits or less bad habits because I started really fighting these battles when I was more malleable in God's hands when I was younger in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think I got it. Here we right. go. Come on up. <laughs> this okay. is Ian. He's never, just FYI, he has never even listened to the podcast. So this <laughs> is super brave. I just walked by. That's right. Okay, um, so I have a two-part question. So I lead a group of guys, uh, young adult guys. We're actually meeting tomorrow. Uh-huh. Um, what is one thing that we should, like, what's the most important thing as a Catholic young adult man? And what is one thing that you think we might be getting wrong? Getting wrong? Yeah, like, uh, just One thing idea. you should do, one thing you might be getting wrong. Can I start with the wrong? Yeah. <laughs> You take the wrong, Father. I'll take I the don't. Good. I don't like the idea of Navy Seal Catholicism. Just like Father Michael was saying, like we will fail, and uh, there's a way in which some people have made the faith into this not only ascetical but intellectual life. Um, this total life that it's like if you're not completely and utterly sold out and, and willing to work hard and be the best we don't even want you and I'm like yeah that's uh, that doesn't sound like our lady um, and it doesn't sound like the poor that Jesus tended to be around you know like the tax collectors and the Pharisees um, they were ones that actually said I need a savior they that God didn't say like you know you guys can remain sinners you know but at the same time, he also, he didn't just call the best of the best. He called people that fought with each other, that were vain, that were prideful, that betrayed him, that denied him, that were asleep when he was going through agony. Um, and yet there was something in them that was desirous to be close to him. Work on that. I mean, don't, don't try to be like a Pharisee and... I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I think what I would say is that... Does that make sense? Sorry. Yeah. Okay, one. Like, I, I would actually love, as you were speaking, I thought, you know, I, I love 
the idea of the Navy SEALs. I love the fact that perfectionism. But I, I think, love those guys. But, but, but it's like, it, it's it's the James Bond, like like the Hollywood version of a man who does everything right. We don't want that. Like, that, that's impossible. It never happens. What we do want is like Navy SEALs of repentance. Like those who, who have become, it's not that they don't sin. It's not that yeah. they've never sinned, but, but they've become very good at repentance. They're not letting the, their past sins or their current sins get in the way of their ministry. You know, it's like, just for an example, I, I oftentimes become very insecure about my homilies when I preach. And I will, I will preach a homily and I will turn back around to continue praying. And I will just be like beating myself up because I don't think it was a very good homily. And then I'm thinking like, here I am now, I've gone on with the liturgy. I'm, I'm starting to chant the, uh, the litany for publication or I'm about to chant the priestly prayer at the end if I have a deacon. And all of a sudden I'm like, I'm letting my frustration, my homily now affect the rest of the liturgy. Like I'm not singing as well, my mind isn't clear enough. It's like, you can let your own shame, you can let your own frustration with past sins get in the way of your love for others, absolutely. And we need to make sure we don't do that. So. If you're discerning, you know, the Navy SEALs of repentance are those who who have fought and struggled and to receive God's mercy and his love in a very, very real way. And they've become very good at receiving forgiveness, very good at forgiving others, but also very good at receiving forgiveness. They, 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 they see their weaknesses in context. They see their weaknesses as this is going to prevent me from being a good minister, but thank God for his mercy because he's not going to let it get in the way of what I'm doing. And so, you know, I, I, I think Navy SEALs, I'd love to hang out with them because I'm they, they what do they do with their weaknesses? Like, why do we put them on a pedestal? They're still men. They're, they're still weak men who have the same issues we do, but somehow they don't let those affect their performance. Right. Even their bodily weaknesses, when you think of Navy SEALs, there must be some way that they say, I've, take, I've realized with the way my body or my mind, my spirit, I've realized the ways that those are weak. And I'm not letting it affect the way that I serve the world. And so, you know, I, I think there always need to be, needs to be this, in a sense, romanticized view of ministry where you're saying, how can I be a better priest? How can I be a better minister in the world? But, but the things that are slow you down are not going to be your weaknesses. They're going to be your weaknesses if you don't let Christ take over for them. Yeah. I mean, staying on the same thing, um, I, think, I think like is, you're talking about men's ministry, right? I think like is known by like, and there are a lot of men that want to have like a, a multiplicity of relationships, but women naturally find one another, and they're perfectly fine just being with each other. There's something about men, and especially in today's culture, that they don't really find ways to be together. We don't have the draft, or we don't have like regular military service. We don't have men's, all men's schools for the most part. Um, we don't even have all men's sports. There are leagues or whatever where it's just guys, um, but women are playing the exact same sport. You know what I'm saying? For you to actually invest in each other and just spend time with each other and then as you get to know one another, feeling comfortable with each other, the, the, the good fruit will be born out from that because something of your experience as a man and this other brother's experience as a man and this other brother experiences as a man will begin to form one another. Just like I was saying with the companions, this association of priests that we're part of, you'll actually value in your brother, man, he is really kind to people and I can be such a jerk and it will elicit from you a desire, I wanna be more like him. That's the communion of saints that we see in an inchoate form in brotherhood or sisterhood. 
Yeah, and, and I think it's, it is a very manly virtue to be able to take criticism well. Yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's wow. a manly virtue. So you, you need to have community where that criticism is, is open, loving, and is going to like desire and affect real change. But to be able to take criticism well, you have to know that the person criticizing you constructively is doing it out of love and true desire for your growth. So it's a very human thing to say, if, if I'm going to build those relationships, I also need to be very good at giving uh, grace, glories. You know, um, I need to be very good at building my brother. What do we call it on birthdays? Well, we, we honoring. Do. Honoring. So very good at honoring your brothers. Like if, if you, and we as men, we kind of need to ritualize it. You're very good at this. You're kind of the mom of the companions. Like he'll, he'll build us up all the time, Father Nathan will, and just do kind of like just this morning, right? You, 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 you walked into the, I was staying in a, in a, in a air mattress in the living room and he walks in, he kicks the side of the air mattress to wake me up and then he hands me a cup of coffee. And I was like, this is awesome. Like yeah. he went out of there to get me a cup of coffee and he woke me up by, by you know, kicking the bed, but then he just hand me a cup of coffee. And I was like, that, that's just such a, a beautiful, honoring thing to do. So if you do that for each other naturally, you know, you're going to say, I know this guy loves me because he's, he's heartfelt in his honorings. And we, we have even ritualized the honorings on our birthdays and things like that. So you go around the table, you know, and it seems corny, but it is a real fruit of the real relationship. And I have no problem hearing any criticism this guy might give me. He could say anything that is completely critical, that sends me just in a heaping pile of tears on the ground because I know it's correct, but I'm going to take it the right way from him because of the way we love each other through those honorings. So yeah. make, make sure you, you honor each other in a very real way and then desire true helping criticism as it comes that's done lovingly. And you need both those things to have good community. And, and you start that again when you're young. I mean, men are, men are transitioning as young adults from hopefully getting that from their families to getting that from friends and people the opposite sex, kind of doing that transition of vocation. So that transition is, is a time where, where those relationships need to be more deliberate and intentional. I think we got one more question. Kyle. Hi, Kyle Stewart, San Diego. Patriot American. St. <laughs> Martin of Tours Parish. Naval Lieutenant. Quick question for you. Married uh, man. In y'all's opinion, what does a theologian look like today, and what role do they have in the parish? Wow. Begin. <laughs> I... When I think of when I think of an actual theologian, um, I don't think of somebody who has written a lot, who speaks a lot, who um, I don't know goes on a speaking circuit or has been on YouTube or whatever. I think of someone who prays. When I was in the Adoration Chapel with uh, Curtis Martin, whenever I was uh, a senior in college, before he gave his talk at Focus Conference, I saw him in the Adoration Chapel. And I could feel the desire for this man to not only know God, but to give an experience of God to other people. Um, and uh, I was like, that that's what I would aspire to be. And it wasn't just a leader or whatever else. It was, um, yeah, someone who knows God through prayer. My spiritual father, Father Goronsky, whenever I prayed with him, I was like, I will go into battle and do anything because I know that you know God. And so sometimes whenever people look at me and I'm like, I may give you some counsel or whatever, but if I don't know God, it doesn't even matter. So, Yeah, it's, it's very important. I, I like how you put that, have, have what's the theologian in a parish? Because I think we do need kind of these 
socially awkward, lives in a hermitage, theologians who write these beautiful, eloquent treatises that are dogmatically accurate. Like, we need that stuff. We need it sitting next to our bed. We need to be reading it daily in our prayers. But in a parish, it is more about, I think, inspiration towards a relationship with Christ and therefore a relationship with the other members of the parish. Community-building lovers of God who are self-sacrificing for those that they are called to serve and draw people closer to Christ because they want to be like that. Um, in, in the East, we only have three people we've given the title theologian. St. John the Theologian, the evangelist that wrote the fourth gospel. Um, St. Gregory the Theologian, who was a, a fourth century bishop who wrote eloquently about, about the spiritual life and his relationship with Christ and how others should be drawn in. And Simeon the New Theologian, who also was a the, the least known of the three, certainly, but but who also added something to the, the body of the church when it came to a spiritual the aspects of their relationship with Christ. So a theologian in the parish is, is someone who's going to know God and inspire others to know God as well. And certainly that takes study. It takes, you know, self-sacrificial kenosis and ministry. It takes all those things. But it's someone who, who walks the walk and it is going to be community building and draw people in a desire for holiness closer to Christ. Yeah, they trade in sacred conversation. Yeah. They have sacred conversation with the Lord. They have sacred conversation amongst their friends, peers, other more intelligent persons that they're learning from, but also sacred conversations with the texts that they're studying uh, where it actually, not only it's like, oh, I mastered this material, but it's penetrated me in a different way. And be a good listener, because I think if you had, like, if you were in the parish bulletin and it said, you know, hey, this guy's theologian for the parish, you know, as if a pastor would do that, be kind of nice though, right? And th that means that people are going to go to you if their friends have questions, if they have questions, like, I, I, I want to be able to learn from this person. You know, that's kind of the more modern understanding of theologian. I want to be able to learn from this man. So to learn, if they come into you to learn, then you really need to be a good listener to see what am I spending my time learning myself? What am I? What am I emphasizing? In what ways is the word of God, which is of course what theologian means, what, in what ways is the word of God going to be effective in real people's real lives? Huh. And we, we might we might go to go to college and think that we know everything about it, but we're completely missing the point, you know, on uh, on on the topics that are actually important to the people of the day. That seems very practical, and it is. I mean, but theologians, and especially in a parish context, need to be that practical. I think. Yeah. All right. We ready to shut it down? Uh, probably. Father Michael and I have to go catch a flight, yeah. um, but before then, we might be going to Roscoe's. In and <laughs> or In and Out Burger. Or Roscoe's. 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 In and Out Roscoe's is. I would like both. Okay. Well, we can maybe pull that well, off. We got to do some shout outs. Right. These okay. are the people that have stopped by our, but do you want to do it? Uh, I might mess with the names more than you do, but I probably don't care as much as you do either. Do All right. Anna and. Uh, Braden together. Okay. Uh, so, because they were both net, net exactly. ministers. Okay. So, uh, shout outs uh, for those who stopped by our booth uh, today. Anna Deesk. I don't know if that's right. I messed it up on purpose, Anna, if I did. Jerk? If I got it right. I, that's, oh, I, I actually rewrote she's, it. Um, uh, she's U of I grad. Oh, yeah, she noticed you're from fine. north of Mundelein. Nice. And then uh, Braden Steller, both net ministers, both are here actually working. He went to a really small men. school in Ohio that's really unknown. Does it start with F-U-S? What? Are you, no, are you being it's, facetious it's or no? Ohio State. Oh, Ohio State. Uh, okay. Just don't right, like right. 
Also, uh, Braden Steller gives a shout out to AJ D'Angelo yes. from St. Paul's Outreach in Ohio. Nice, yeah. Shout out to him from them. Also, uh, Carlos Warfield, who stopped by last night, actually. Uh, Sophia and Catherine and St. Anthony High School Long Beach Saints stopped by this morning. Hi to you guys again. Thanks for being awesome. Uh, Pete Brewster and uh, St. Paul the Apostle Chino Hills, California and the Beloved Women's Fellowship Group. Uh, shout out to all of you. Uh, Rose Cragen at St. Mary Magdalene in San Diego, California. And then Steve and Mary oh, yeah, Green Steve's from Sacramento. Shout out to all y'all. Thanks, Thanks for coming. For coming. And, and the rest who did too who didn't sign in. Special thank you to uh, the bishops uh, who invited us. Yes, Bishop John and Bishop Gerald who invited us to come out. We uh, I don't think they're here. I think it's like a thousand bucks to have this little booth. And uh, we for got reals. to sit here for free and talk at you guys. Yep. So, yeah, thanks to the Byzantine bishops, especially in the Eparchy of Phoenix. And then uh, all the people from the parish in Tucson, the parish in, here in Anaheim. We've got many priests and ministers, lay people that came. And uh, the Father Steve from Annunciation Parish here in Anaheim, he hosted us. Yes, Father Steve Washko, we stayed at his place last night. And I posted a picture on our Facebook page of his, his parish, his Platetera, the icon of the pregnant mother of God on the back wall. Uh, beautiful, beautiful building out here. If you're ever in Anaheim, you got to stop by and see uh, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church in uh, Anaheim, California. Awesome. All right. Thank you, folks. Been awesome. And Sister Jean Marie, who's just always a servant of God, walking around handing out uh, flyers for the Business Church right now. So, all right. Catholic Stuff Podcast at gmail.com. Check us out on Facebook. Check us out on iTunes and give us reviews. I guess that helps still. I don't know how it works. Oh, and uh, if you are if you know Leah Darrow and you want to go to Spain and Portugal with her and I in late September, early October, she says if you go to leodarrow.com, now the pilgrimage uh, page on her website is up. She just texted me this morning. Let me know. So, uh, yeah, come to Spain and Portugal with us. We're going for the 100th anniversary of Our Lady of Fatima. But we're going to do all kinds of things. We're going to go see Teresa of Avila, etc. So I'll be in touch with more about that later on. Go check that out. Advertisement. On the Nathan's board. All right. Bye. Sweet. Y'all. Laters. Mm-hmm.